We're going to be in the book of Romans tonight. And turn there, if you will, to chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. Probably a familiar couple of verses for some of you. And I love being able to allow the Lord to, to speak to me in areas that I've known in Scripture before, but he always casts a new light on the things that we've read over and over again. I beseech you, therefore, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I remember the first time I heard this verse. I was a sophomore in high school. I just became a Christian. And my youth pastor at the time, he came to me and he said, Jimmy, I want you to teach a Bible study on your campus. <laughs> oh, you want what? You want me to teach a Bible study on campus? Are you kidding me? I go, oh, I just, sorry, I caught my reflection up here. Is that normal? Like, don't focus too much on the back of my head. Um, anyway, he said, I want you to teach a Bible study on campus. I had just gotten saved, and I was scared to death. And so he came to my campus one day, and back then you could, you know, Youth pastors and other people could go on the campus. And so he went with me up to a spot. He goes, we're going to find a spot on your campus, and that's where you're going to have the Bible study at lunchtime. And so he came up to this spot, and he picked this spot, and he said, this is where it's going to be. It's going to be awesome. But the hard part about it was it was right next to Stoner Hill. And that's where all my old friends were. And so I just kind of went with it, and I said, well okay, I guess we can do it there, but I don't know what it's going to be, and I'm scared to death of what's going to happen. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. D don't conform to the world. Just be transformed. And that's all he said about it. And I'm like, just don't conform. Just be transformed. I'm like, oh, gosh. And so I'm dreading the day that we were going to have it. It was a Wednesday at lunchtime. And so the only way that you could get to this place that we were going to have the Bible study was to pass by Stoner Hill. And I'm walking with the crowd, not necessarily the crowd that was going to the Bible study, but just the crowd that passed by Stoner Hill. And I'm thinking, I'll just blend in. I'll just blend into the crowd and they won't see me. And then all of a sudden, as I'm walking by, I hear, where are you going, Humphreys? I'm like, oh, no, I've been spotted out. What am I going to do now? They're no, they know I'm going somewhere else. I'm not going to hang out with them. And, and I got all these jabs from my old friends yelling out things to me because I wasn't hanging out with them. And so after not blending in, and it's hard to, when you have red hair, it's hard to blend in anyway. And so it just was one of those moments where finally, after I got through that, I went to the field that we were having the Bible study at, and there was like 40 kids out there. And it was such a blessing. And I was reminded of this verse that my youth pastor paraphrased to me. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed. He said it, you know, when anyone, you know, just paraphrases scripture, that could be dangerous at times. And for him, it was one of those things that he said it to me, and it just sank in. And at such a time as now, the truth of the matter is, is that the Lord is seeking out those who would stand up to not conform to the ways of the world, 
but to be transformed. And we're going to talk about what that looks like tonight because God is in need to want to use you and I in our communities to bring the love of Jesus in a new and fresh way, in a way that maybe hasn't happened in a while because sometimes we get into these patterns. We get into the routine of life. And we're so busy with the things that we have to do, whether it's working, whether it's going to pick up the kids, where it's dropping off the kids, where it's coming to church on a Wednesday night, and then you got to go to work Thursday morning, and we're just spread out so thin is that we forget the way that God can use us in the best way possible, in the way that we know, in the way that we can understand that, that God is at work and wants to activate our hearts if we come to the place and we begin to live our lives as that living sacrifice that the Lord calls us to. Paul states in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I beseech you. I love this word. In the original language, it means to ask someone urgently and fervently for something. There was an urgent plea that Paul is expressing here to believers by the mercies and the compassion of God. Paul is urgently communicating this to present, and the word present means to place beside your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice is an offering to God. It's worship. And what Paul is communicating here, he's saying he's urgently trying to get their attention, saying, listen, I'm pleading to you to present your lives, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, an offering to God, that your action in your life is worship. That worship is more than what we just got done doing, which was awesome, which was so awesome coming to the presence of the Lord in a way that was taking place here just a little bit ago. But what Paul is getting at is every day of our lives is an act of worship. When we go to our jobs, it's an act of worship to want to go and to honor the Lord with our jobs and to be the best we can possibly be because God calls us to bring everything that we have to worship, our best to worship. And the reason why Paul is drawing this out is because there are those who cut corners in every day of life. They want to make it easier. Or they take a shortcut or they cheat here and cheat there. And what Paul is saying is like, no, have your lives be an offering back to God when you go to work, when you go to your hobby, when you go work out at the gym, when you go do these things that you do each and every day, have it be an act of worship. And that is a sacrifice at times. Man, the Lord has been convicting me so much on this because there's so many things that, that yeah, as a pastor, you're doing. And you go in and you're, you're praying with this person over here at their house. You're going to make a hospital visit. You're counseling this person and that person. Sometimes, if I'm being honest with you, it could be a chore. It could be part of the routine. And man, lately, I, honestly speaking, is that the Lord's been nailing me, saying, Jimmy, this is worship to me. This is worship to me. Bring your best. Bring the best that you have and watch me do an amazing work through it. I encourage you to try that tomorrow. Don't think of going to work as just going to work. 
Or don't think of just dropping off the kids or picking them up. It's just doing that. Think of it as like, no, this is an, this is an offering back to God. In the days of old, there were sacrifices during worship. You would bring the best that you had, the animal, the goat, the ram, the sheep. You would bring the very best and you would lay it on the altar on one day of the year, on the day of atonement. And on that day of the year, as you brought your best, the high priest would, would sacrifice the animal and the blood was considered a, um, a covering of your sin for that particular year. But the thing about it was, it wasn't necessarily an act of worship if you didn't bring your best. If, if you brought something that wasn't your best, it wasn't considered or it wasn't honoring or respectful to the Lord, and you couldn't get away with that. The Lord knew. In fact, we see in the book of Malachi, there were some priests that actually felt like they could cut corners. And let me read it for you. In, first, in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6, says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? The Lord demands that reverence from us as his people in a respectful way, in a way of adoration. And right here to the priests, God Almighty is saying, where is that? Where has that gone? And you offer, verse 7, defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you by saying the table of the Lord is contemptible? And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? So what he's saying here is, would your governor accept this offering? No then why would you think that you could bring that to the Lord? Would your boss accept that offering? No. Why do you think that you could give it back to the Lord then? Verse 11 says of that chapter, For from the rising of the sun even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God's desire is for his name to be great among the nations, for him to be reflected amongst the nations. And that starts with you and I. That's plan A, is that through us, the glory of God will be reflected. There is no plan B. Plan A is that's how he wants to reach the world. That's his desire for his name to be seen and his name to be great. And it starts with us coming to the place of being living sacrifices of maybe doing things that we don't necessarily want to do from time to time, but we do it anyway because the Lord will get the glory and we can bless someone else's life. Being that living sacrifice means we put our own agenda on hold. A sacrifice is giving up something that's of worth. In our own lives, our problem at times is we don't want to. We want to keep it, right? Our time our, our money, our, our service. At times I have this con consumerism type of mentality 
when I'm only out for myself. That's not sacrifice. Even though there is an urgent plea from Paul for our lives to be an offering of God, an urgent plea that this, is, this has to happen now. And for us, as such a time as this of the day that we're living in, this has to happen now, being living sacrifices. But it's so hard for us to budge. Understanding what God wants for our life starts with being a person who is at the altar, a person who can lay down at the altar and say, Lord, have your way with my life. Whether it means you're uncomfortable, whether it means there's gonna be pain along the way, Lord, have your way with my life. When we can choose to become those living sacrifices, we are laying our lives down saying, Lord, have your way with me, whatever that might mean, whatever is necessary to bring your glory through my life. Would we have the guts to say that or bring that to the Lord? Actually, it takes more than guts. It takes allowing the Lord to be your strength, allowing the Lord to come to you and I and just really stepping out on faith saying, Lord, I'm gonna do this thing. I don't wanna necessarily do it, but I know if I do it and I could sacrifice my precious time or whatever it might be, you're gonna be seen through it even when it hurts. Do we trust him enough there that even when it hurts, he's gonna be seen through whatever it might be? This last winter was, for me, one of the hardest winters of my life. I got into a snowboard accident and I ended up, to make a long story short, on a powder day, I hit a rock field and I fractured my C2 I fractured my cheek, I fractured my nose, I had surgery on my eye, my head split open, and man, if I wasn't wearing a helmet, it would have been it. Would have been it it would have been lights out. And um, I was, gosh, you know, even in thinking about it now, is one of those things where it was the hardest time of my life, the most difficult. I was in a neck brace for six weeks. And looking back on it now, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, God used it in such a radical way. God's glory came through it. I mean, absolutely through inside of my heart, God did a new work. But we live in a small community, and people from the community heard about this accident. And definitely people from our church would reach out, and they would, you know, do really cool things and cook meals and all that sort of stuff. But people that would never come to our church, that just heard about in our community, would come to our home. They would actually come to a pastor's home just to check on me and make sure everything was okay. God uses our tribulations and our difficulties when we could come and lay our lives down and really lay our lives down before the Lord. He begins to go to work. And that's why Paul says he takes pleasure in, the firm, in infirmities. Consider it all joy, James talks about when we enter trials and, and tribulations because God's going to be seen through those times. It's about total commitment. It's about total commitment to Jesus. Being a sacrifice involves that. By the way, speaking of total commitment, there's a big difference between involvement and commitment. You can be involved. You can be involved here at church. 
and do certain things and, and, and be in a group that, that serves and whatnot and still not be committed. Commitment involves every bit of you. Involvement is, involves when, when time permits. And there's nothing wrong with that from time to time, but sometimes we can get more locked into being involved than we are committed. The Lord wants us committed to him, completely committed to him. When you look at a plate, like for breakfast, I had eggs and bacon. You look at the eggs, the chicken, the chicken was involved for sure, right? I mean, you're eating eggs, the chicken was involved. But when you're eating the bacon, man, that pig was committed. And that is the truth of the matter. And perhaps we need to be more like the pigs in regards to our relationship with the Lord fully committed to him. And so we ask ourselves at times, and, you know, I don't know if you see it as much here in the Springs as you do in our little community, but I ask myself the question, why does the church seem so ineffective? Why does it seem like our light is not, it's not as bright as it once was, or or, or how we're not as salty anymore. We're, We're not as effective. And I think it comes to a place where we've lost the urgency to be a living sacrifice. We've lost the urgency at times to be that living offering back to the Lord. Because it says back in our text in in verse 12, um, chapter 12, verse 1 of Romans, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Holy dedicated to God. You present your offering, a living sacrifice to the Lord, and it's dedicated to God. It's what the definition in this um, particular verse speaks of when it uses the word holy, acceptable. Holy, dedicated to God, acceptable. The definition of that is well-pleasing, that this is something that is well-pleasing to God. It's not about well-pleasing to me or well-pleasing to you, it's well-pleasing to God. Being in a place where you're dedicated to God, you can be that totally committed living sacrifice, and it's well-pleasing to God. We ought to want to please the Lord with our lives, the things that we do, the things that we say, the things that we watch, the things that we participate in. And this is where the problem comes in is because we don't strive to be that dedicated. We could be dedicated to so many things. Our workout routine, we could be dedicated to our sport and and our hobby and and absolutely our work. And we even be really dedicated to our families. and, And those are not bad things. Those are great things. But when we're not as dedicated to the Lord, it ought to be a red flag for us. And only you and I can answer that. You know, of how dedicated, how committed are we? And sometimes we hear a message like this and we think, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. I'm supposed to be more committed. I need to try harder. No, it's just coming to Jesus and giving back to him what he has already given to you. And maybe having a little more reverence and respect. And if that happens, it brings in that dedication to the Lord and you want to be all that you can be. You want to bring your best to the Lord and you want to lay down your life at the altar. It's a good analogy to look at, coming to the altar 
to lay down my life. We get to come to the table tonight. There's a connection there. That when you come to the table to take and participate in the Lord's Supper, we're laying down our lives. We're remembering the price that it took, the sacrifice, because Jesus set the tone for us in all of this in regards to being that living sacrifice. Amen? Like he's the one that came out and set it up for us to follow by in that humility, in the way that the Lord has called us to. Holy and acceptable, which is, at the end of verse 1, your reasonable service. In other words, this urgent plea that Paul has for us to be a living sacrifice is not unreasonable. It's our reasonable service. The way that God set it up is, is to be a fair and sensible, reasonable service back to him. It's our privilege, it's our honor, and it's our responsibility. This is not a suggestion from the Apostle Paul for us. Hey, think about this. Try this, and you'll, be, you'll live a happier life if you become that living sacrifice. No, you won't. I mean, you might have moments of happiness, but it's not, you know, filled with joy all the time. It's not filled with happiness all the time where you're skipping around. Oh, isn't life great? La, la, la. No, it's difficult at times. But when we could come to that place and take these words to heart, realizing that it's a reasonable service, it's not unreasonable, then God begins to work. Again, it's not about us earning a salvation through this reasonable service. It's not about us making points with God or having, man, if I do these things, if I'm really a living sacrifice, I'm going to get a really cool mansion in heaven. It's not about us. It's only about him. At such a time as this, our communities need us to be these living sacrifices. The urgent plea has gone out. We have heard it. We are looking at it. We have to be responsible with it. And what does that look like for you even tonight? Is there changes that need to be made? I don't know. Is, is there a place in your life that you need to lay down, that you need to let go of? And then Paul leads into verse 2, and do not con be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed. This word conformed means to shape one behavior and attitudes. Do not shape up your behavior and attitudes with the world. Don't conform to the world. And when we're talking about the world, we're talking about the system, what's prevalent in the world, in society, what's taking place, what's popular, what's, what's culture alluding to now. And it might be different down here than it is where I live. But don't conform to that. Don't come alongside that. Don't join together with that. Don't have one foot in that and one foot in the church or walking with the Lord. Be different than that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of 
the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we go to the altar, and we find God's will within that. And you might be asking, well, that's a great question, Pastor. What is the will of God? Finding out, I mean, First John just said, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I need to know that. I need to know what the will of God is. And there's some specific times in Scripture where it says specifically what the will of God is. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, for this is the will of God. And whenever Scripture says that, it gets my attention. It's like, oh, because I'm not too bright at time at all. And so when something is spelling itself out for me, I like to dig in like going, oh yes, okay, the will of God, it's coming. I wanna know. For this is the will of God, First Thessalonians chapter four, three and four, your sanctification. Sanctification, being holy and set apart. Holy, dedicated to God and set apart. The will of God is your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his or own vessel in sanctification and honor. So this is huge. The will of God is for our sanctification to be set apart, to be holy, that we ought to abstain from sexual immorality at all cost, to flee from it. In this world, sex immorality, the Greek word is pornea, where we get our English word pornography from. That we are to separate ourselves from that. That we are to move in the opposite direction of that. And yet, that immorality has such a strong and powerful pull in America today. God's will is for our sanctification. Be separated from that come into a place where you can lay that down at the altar and say, Lord, I'm done with this because this thing is what's distracting me from my relationship with you. It's destroying not only my relationship with you, but relationships around me because of this immorality. And we kid ourselves. And we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a gigantic deal. It's ruining families that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. This can happen so subtly, and if it's not happening, being handled with the word of God, this conforming to the world can go so very deep in one's life, and we must be different than that. We must fight against that, wherever that worldliness might be, to not conform to it. Is it coming through your TV set at home? Don't conform to it. Make a stand there and get it out because it has an impact. Whether we like to admit it or not, whether we like to turn our head or not, it has an effect. And you might think that it's not affecting you because you're grounded in God's word, but it could be affecting your children. We have to not conform to those patterns. In fact, be rebellious in that particular area. I'm rebellious in a way of what everyone's doing. Everyone's wrapped up in sexual immorality. Everyone's doing their certain thing. We're partying and whatnot. Be rebellious in a way where you go against that. You go against the flow of society. You go against the flow of the world. And that's not easy because we're living in it. 
And we, there's vices that some of us have found ourselves being wrapped up into it. It's not easy. But at the same time, the Lord is calling us. He's calling us. He has an, an, an urgent plea for us that we present our bodies as living sacrifices so that we can be victorious in these areas. Be transformed. Don't conform, but be transformed, changed. Be changed. And here's where the battle is won and lost, in my opinion. Do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. How do you do that? Man, I could be thinking one thing and instantly be on another track. I could be praying to the Lord, driving down the road, just having the best time listening to worship music. Someone cuts me off and boom, I'm immediately in my flesh, yelling at the person and just having bad thoughts in my brain. Could happen so subtly and so quickly, but be transformed. And this is where the battle comes in. And how do we renew our minds? How do we come to that place where we renew them? It's through washing our minds through the word of God. And we know that Hebrews chapter 4 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to penetrate through bone and marrow and soul and spirit, is a discerner of our, of our thoughts and our heart. This is why your church, Pastor Eric, teaches God's word in the way that he does because it's alive and it has the power to renew our minds it has the power to get us going from a place that is distant from the Lord back to the Lord again, walking with him closely. There's no other book in the world that can even touch the power of God's word. You could go to any you know, bookstore and you can see 10 ways to make your life pure, make your life holy, ways for this, ways for that, be effective this way, be effective that. Not to say that those are bad books at all, but they can't even come close to the power of God's word that when we can come to a place as people who have an adoration and a respect for the Lord, laying our lives down for Jesus and renewing our minds with God's word, he begins to go to work when we can dive in. In fact, we see in, Rome, in Psalms chapter um, 119, verse 2, how can a young man cleanse, excuse me, 119, chapter 9 of Psalms, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Why? because that's where the power is. So we renew our minds through the washing of God's word. And we come into a place when that is happening, where we ask the Lord for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives to renew our hearts, to renew our minds so that we can be changed. Often of the time, instead of being transformed, we want to kind of go under the radar. We want to blend in as believers. Instead of, instead of being transformed and not conforming, we kind of just want to be in this place where we're not rocking the boat. We want to blend in. We can't blend in in this day and age where the Lord is calling us to rise above the world. 
At such a time as this, again, I keep saying that because it's just so in my heart and in my mind that the Lord, it, it's like a battle cry going out for us to rise up, to come into a place. The urgent plea is for us to come into that place, to allow things to be different in our lives. God can touch our community in such a radical way. Even more so, the Bible says it. he wants to do immeasurably more than all that we hope for and all that we ask. God wants to do this. Are we prepared for that? Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. A renewing. And perhaps even tonight, maybe that needs to take place in your life tonight. Maybe that sounds pretty good. Ah, a new start. A renewing through the Holy Spirit. That he wants to, to activate my, my, my life. He wants to cleanse my mind. Because maybe our, our mind, and this is a tricky thing. Because no one could see really what you're thinking about. Your thoughts. And maybe even tonight, some of our, our thoughts need to be dealt with with the Lord because there's an odor to them. And they're not smelling too good, so to speak. The problem is, is that if we think about and we allow our thoughts to get the best of us, they will manifest themselves at some particular point if they're not dealt with. If you keep, keep fantasizing about a certain thing that's not of the Lord, but it's of, of lust and of the flesh, and you keep thinking about it, and, oh, no one knows. No one knows what you're thinking about. Give it enough time being not dealt with with the Lord, and it will manifest itself. Oh, no one sees on my personal iPad or my, or my phone the websites that I'm on. No one can see it except me, and I just put it in my pocket. No one knows. Don't kid yourself. There's an urgent plea to deal with that, to lay it at the altar. Why is that so crucial? Yes, because God wants to reach a lost world through you and I, and he can only do that if we can become those living sacrifices. Absolutely. But also God wants what's best for you and for me and for hiding things like that. And thinking that, oh, no one sees my thoughts, it's no big deal. You're affecting your relationship with the Lord. And odds are, your family's probably being affected too. And you just don't see it yet. And I can only say that because I know that that's happened. Me getting carried away in, in ministry and not, you know, giving the right time to my my family, as I should, at, at a particular season in my life, it affected them. And I was thinking, oh, I'm doing ministry. I'm doing this great thing. Everyone's cool with it. But it was affecting them at home. So I had to come to the altar. I had to lay that down. Say, Lord, have your way with me. Back to our thoughts. It's so important to protect our thoughts. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6 that, that we are to put on the helmet of salvation, Right? You put that thing over your brain so you can be protected. Why is it salvation? Because you know that there was a price that was paid to give you salvation through Jesus Christ. Oh, you remember that. You put it on. 
Man, if we remember that every day, every day that we went into, just remember, oh, Jesus gave me salvation. This is awesome. Man, it changes the pace of your day. It changes the perspective of your day. And you're protected from the arrows that come at you from the enemy. That's why that whole chapter in chapter 6 is so important about the armor of God so that we're protected when we go out into the world. Paul even makes reference of it in in Philippians as far as our minds. It says, be anxious for nothing, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, but in everything, another familiar verse for us, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ." Jesus, you put on that helmet of salvation. You present your request to the Lord. You don't get caught up in being anxious about things or being worried about things, but in everything, you just bring it to the Lord and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Thanks, Lord. You've given us a key right here. You've given us a step right here on how to be a believer in this day and age, where attacks come from every direction to our minds. Peter even talks about that we are to prepare our minds in in chapter one, verse 13, that we are to prepare our minds for action because God wants to use us to prepare for action. We don't prepare our, our minds just to be lazy. I'm gonna prepare my mind just because I really wanna indulge myself with it. There might be a little bit of that from time to time, indulging yourself, but there's a bigger picture here. The Lord is calling us and needing us to head out into the world to be prepared for action. What's the action? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a community that is in desperate, desperate need of the hope that lies only in Jesus Christ. We must be different. We must be different as believers. When we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, we are able to prove at the end of verse 2 what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are able to prove, examine. We are able to examine, try out, test, demonstrate by evidence what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. This is such a key component for us. As we are being transformed on the inside, the proof will be evident on the outside. When we're not conforming but being transformed. As others see what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is through your life. And then here's the cool part. When that is happening, when we're laying down our lives at the altar, when we're that living sacrifice, when we're not conforming to the world, we're not giving into the world. Hey, man, we're being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Guess what happens? We're in the will of God. We're in the will of God. You don't have to worry about God's will because you're walking in it. And the things that come up in your life, be faithful with, that, with what's in front of you. You're walking in God's will. And so as we come into a place, even tonight, as we have communion down here in front of us, I want to just encourage you 
Uh, do you guys have communion every Wednesday night? Cool. That's awesome. Maybe tonight that you don't allow it to be a routine. Not that you do at all. I'm not, I'm not tripping and throwing any legalism anywhere at all. But I'm just saying, if it, if it is a routine for you, maybe pray to the Lord and say, Lord, break me out of the routine tonight. Have it be something that's fresh. God wants to do a work tonight. He wants to do a renewal tonight in your heart. We serve the God of new beginnings all the time that he wants to bring a river in a desert, a roadway in a wilderness. This is the God who we serve. And you might be in a place tonight where you're dry. You might be in a place tonight that you feel lost. Come to the table and be renewed, man. Come to a place where you can allow God Almighty as you bring that, that respect to him, that reverence, that living sacrifice, that, that offering to God with your life tonight. He brings a renewal in your heart simultaneously. And so I want to encourage you to come during, when you feel led as the worship begins to happen again, come as you feel led, but also make tonight different. Make it count. Not that you don't make it count on Wednesday nights, but allow the Lord to really stir your heart tonight. Do you need to do some business with the Lord tonight? Maybe lay some things at the altar and repent of some sin that maybe has been blocking your relationship with the Lord and you know it and you just, and you haven't pulled the trigger yet to actually deal with it. Tonight's the night. And maybe there's somebody that, that could pray with you tonight. If that be the case, if you're in a struggle of any kind tonight, man, grab a brother or a sister or a pastor and say, hey, will you pray with me over this situation? There's strength there. You don't have to walk alone in those particular situations and difficulties. God is with you, and God wants you to be encouraged tonight to let it go and to walk out renewed, strengthened in the love of the Lord. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for how good that you are to us. Lord, how you always meet us where we're at, but you're not willing for us to stay there. Lord, you have so much more for us. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, for settling for those things that that just aren't, are, are not of you or that are lazy. Father, how you want to deal with us with some of these things, even on a night such as tonight. God, may we be bold enough to come and lay our lives down in front of you tonight. And if that's you this evening, I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at, maybe um, before you come and grab the elements or as you're going back to your seat, do business with the Lord. Come to the Lord Jesus tonight. He knows where you're at already. Come and allow him to renew your heart.